podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Today, oh boy. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about some heavy topics, uh, including trauma. We're going to talk about bereavement, uh, traumatic stress. We're going to talk about sorrow and maybe even traumatic death. And we're going to do that with today's guest. Dr. Joanne Cacciatore is here. Joanne, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking about what no one wants to talk about. No, it's it's an important subject. And uh, we're just so glad that we can have an expert on the show to kind of help us talk through some of this stuff. You know, it <laughs> was it was uh, Johan Hari who connected uh, us with okay. you. And he, he's on our podcast uh, maybe a few months ago, and he said, hey, there is this research scientist at Arizona State University you have got to talk to because uh, you know, a lot of our audience has suffered from some sort of trauma or maybe they're going through some trauma right now. And so uh, we have questions from them. But before we get into those questions, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about you, Joanne, and, and sort of your journey here and, and maybe start with something that happened to you in, in 1994. Can sure. we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was... Uh uh, a stay-at-home mom, being a mom, and uh, had three children and was pregnant with my fourth, and she died, and uh, they didn't find an explanation for her death. There was no identifiable cause after an autopsy, mm-hmm. and it sent me into a downward spiral in a pretty dark place where I wasn't sure I wanted to be around anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how you live through something like that, and <clears throat> more importantly, um, the social support system failed me and my family. Uh, There wasn't any kind of systemic support. And so uh, within a few months, I weighed 88 pounds Mm. because I couldn't get food past the lump in my throat. Mm. Um, I had trouble sleeping. I experienced hypnagogic experiences during sleep. I thought I was losing my mind. It was pretty terrifying Mm. and pretty lonely. Mm. And... um, Then a few years later, I mean, I just kept going, you know, one second at a time because that's all you can do in the face of such trauma and grief, um, especially absent good social support. Mm -hmm. And so I just took it one minute at a time and eventually the the minutes turned to days and the days to weeks and the weeks to months and eventually I started a nonprofit group and um, you know continued to do my own work with grief and still do. It's been, it'll be 26 years since she's been dead pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, it's fascinating. Right before we turned the mics on, Ryan was mentioning a story. And this is not an uncommon story. This happens to us all the time where we'll be out on the road, we'll be out on tour, like a book tour or a podcast tour. And we might do a hug line afterward. And sometimes people will come up and and tell us their stories. And they'll say, you know, my, my husband just died or my son just died. And I'm experiencing this uh, amount of grief, or sometimes they'll say, you know, it's been over a decade, and I still experience this grief. And so, uh, it's it, for me. I was, I hate to say this, but this is the truth. For a long time, until I was about thirty, so almost a decade ago, 
I was a bit of a trauma skeptic in a way. And I know there are probably some people who are, are listening to this and they're thinking, well, unless you just came back from war, if you had an immediate family member die, there's, then trauma doesn't exist. It only exists for those particular people. And while obviously we recognize that it does, trauma manifests in a bunch of other ways as well. It doesn't require uh, such a terrible car crash sort of thing in, in order to experience trauma, right? Yeah, I mean, so so the thing about trauma is that it incites something called traumatic stress. And that's why we say that trauma is such a bodily or somatic experience. Mm. So if you think about let's let's reduce trauma to to intense, intense traumatic stress. And then you have a continuum. So traumatic stress is all the way on this end of the continuum. Distress might be a little bit further this way, mm -hmm. and your everyday stress is somewhere in the middle. And then over here, you have something called eustress, E U S T R E S S. And that's a kind of sub a, a subjectively felt good stress, uh -huh. right? So th before, just before the first kiss, you know, right. the butterflies in the stomach kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? So if you think about stress on the body, um, you know, so much of what happens in here is subjective. Right. So some people cope with the day to day stress of paying the mortgage or, uh, you know, uh, getting the kids ready for school or making meals and, and they cope with stress quite well. And some people are a little less stress resilient. Most people experience youth stress as kind of exciting and they experience it uh, uh, subjectively as a good kind of stress. But when you start to get over on this end of the continuum, you get to distress or even further out traumatic stress. Um, then, then we're talking about you know, life altering, even if it's not permanent because of a death, you're talking about what are potentially for people life altering experiences. And, and quite often those will main, remain repressed for a long period of time. And the reason I say I was a bit of a skeptic until I was about 30 is I think I repressed a lot of my own traumatic childhood. Ryan and I both grew up really poor, but a lot of substance abuse and physical abuse in the households. We've known each other since we were fat little fifth graders. And uh, my very first memory as a kid is of my father extinguishing a cigarette on my mother's chest. And for the longest time, like I knew that was there as a memory, but like I, I didn't, I, I never really unpacked it. I, I, I sort of, I, I, I ran from it almost. And you know, Ryan has talked in the past about when he was in junior high school, the SWAT team kicking down his door and, and raiding the house. And it, that's a traumatic event to someone who's 10 or 12 years old, right? Yeah. And, but quite often, we, we, we don't address those things. So they, they, stay, they stay there for a while and it's almost as though they, they grow over time. Is that accurate? Well, I think they ask to be seen, and when we don't see them, they command to be seen in other ways, uh. right? The writer Catherine Porter said, the past is never where we think we left it. Mm. And so I, I tell people all the time, we need to deal with those things or they will deal with us. And so I think, you know, so for example, some of the problems with addictions that we see, uh, and I'm not just talking about substances, we can be addicted to a lot of things, consumerism, yes, yep. porn, gambling, drink, uh, drinking, obviously substances, um, TV, dr social drugs, media. TV, social yeah. media, yeah. Uh, work. Yeah, exercise, yeah. yoga, I mean, spiritual practice, there are all thing, kinds of things that we can use to sideways take us out of our emotional experiences that are, if you keep excavating and getting underneath the layers that have their rootlets in our past trauma. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some of these questions here. Sure. Our first one is from Carly in Selma, California. I'm a 26-year-old single mom of two. I've been single now for about a, a year, uh, coming out of a 12-year um, abusive relationship with an addict. Um, I'm a full-time student online. I'm just about to get my associate, and I'm, I have to file for bankruptcy soon. So that's just kind of where I'm at socioeconomically. Um, but I'm on a journey of finding how to be happy um, just with myself, just be in the present. And I want to show my girls love and how to enjoy life and love love themselves um, intrinsically, not because of what we have or, or what we do or what we look like or anything, just because of, of who we are. So Joanne, we've got a lot to unpack here. Uh, 26-year-old, single mom of two. Uh, congratulations, by the way, Carly, for getting out of a abusive relationship, mm-hmm. um, a 12-year abusive relationship in he was an addict, and obviously that manifests in, in different types of abuse, whether it's verbal abuse or emotional abuse, physical abuse. These are traumatic events, right? Uh, bankruptcy can be a traumatic event. And, and now sort of starting over can can uh, be traumatic in, in many ways for, for a lot of people because people feel lost. And she's asking, you know, how, how do I... Yeah, how do I be happy? Which is, I think, the question we're ultimately all asking, right? <laughs> but also, how do I show love to my kids? What, 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 what would you say to someone like Carly? Yeah, I mean, those are all big questions, right? It, it's very hard without sitting down and knowing Carly because everyone is such an individual. I think I think we do a great disservice in Western culture by, by focusing a lot on happiness. Mm-hmm. The more we seek happiness, the more elusive it is. Yes, yeah. indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I kind of rail against the happiness cult of Western culture. <laughs> um, I am for a life of meaning. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, Ryan and I often yeah. say that the point is not happiness. The point is a meaningful life and yeah. occasionally happiness is a byproduct that's of that. Right. Yeah. Well, and in fact, it often is because if you're not so hyper-focused on, I have to be happy, have to be happy, then you're not constantly seeking it out here, which comes through, you know, whatever dresses and makeup or shoes or, you know, partners or drinking or whatever, right? Mm. You're not constantly, you're not what Gabor Mate calls the hungry ghost, right? In the, in his book, do you know Gabor Mate's no. work? Okay. He's worth knowing. Right. So he wrote a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. He works with substance abuse. Okay. And and so in Buddhism, the hungry ghost is the ghost that's never fed. Mm. No matter what you eat, it's never satiated. Mm. Nothing ever fills a ghost. Right. And so it's that it's it's what happiness seeking does to us. So what I would say is one of the great existential you know, moments of our lives is when we realize that happiness is not out here mm-hmm. and it's not in things and it's not even something that you can summon from in here. It's something that is, as Viktor Frankl says, a byproduct of a life well lived, a byproduct of a life ser- in service to others. And by others, I don't just mean humans. I mean the earth and the animals that we share the planet with and others, capital O, <laughs> in a yeah. unitive oneness. And so... How she loves her children, uh, I don't know anything about her or her children, but I can say that how I love my children the most was by recognizing that this moment is all we have. Mm. Literally. Yeah. I mean, at any moment. I mean, I could have a brain aneurysm right now, 
and in five minutes be dead right here in this room. Mm-hmm. And if I stay with that, then the, and I, if I stay with the possibility that my life could end at any second, yes, it's terrifying. All right, that's mortality salience. Well, that's also grown up because that's reality. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you live your life that way, you you really don't not in a trite and superficial way. Take you know take every moment as a gift, not in a trite way. Mm. Like you really do take every moment as a gift. It really is a sacred offering to have this moment. Mm. And so when I'm with my children who are now all grown, but when I'm with them, you know, I'm like with them. I'm like, I love, like, I love you. And they're like, I know, mom, you love me. And I'm like, no, but I really love you. You know, I just have to, you, I have to have you understand that and know that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's for me, recognizing the finitude of our existence is essential. Now that can bring up death anxiety in people. And so sometimes people who have, already, you know, predisposed characteristics of anxiety are really going to have to work with that. So I suggest, of course, a a teacher, a a good teacher, like a meditation teacher or a Zen teacher. I mean, I had a teacher in Zen and um, have a teacher in Zen and I am a teacher to many. And so because we need somebody to help us work through some of that a sounding board, someone with resonance, mm-hmm. especially if we're prone toward anxiety, right, and fear. Yeah, I mean, as Josh said, I mean, yeah, we we totally agree with you know happiness is it's ephemeral, and mm-hmm. I would argue that I was you know chasing and getting happiness during my twenties, but as soon as I had a hold on it, it slipped out of my fingers, and it was just this constant moving marker that I was chasing. But you know, something else I think in Western culture that we propagate a lot is you know live your best life, and I do think that people should live their best life possible but sometimes when you when you have gone through a very traumatic event and when you have a lot of stress and you're in the tornado of you know of craziness that sometimes we put ourselves in maybe it's like you know for for carly it's focusing on living your best day like just start there and then you can kind of build on top of that to hopefully you can get to a point where you are living your best life but uh something else she talked about too which i think will help her live her best life or live her best day is she talked about loving herself and it's interesting i i didn't i knew that saying but i didn't really connect with that until you know maybe five six seven years ago when I realize what loving yourself is. Well, actually, let me ask you, Joanne, how would you define like loving yourself? What, what does that mean to you? Um, well, I, I have a self-compassion practice. Mm. So, uh, and the reason I love my self-compassion practice is because uh, I, it's com- self-compassion is different in, insofar as it's not contingent on outcome. And so I am really fallible and I screw up a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of material there. And when I screw up, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll do better next time. I'll work harder next time. I'll mm-hmm. deal with it. You know, I'll deal with it, become a better version of me. And the begin again. Yeah, it's the begin Bruce. again. Beginner's yeah. mind, Suzuki Roshi, right? So uh, I think for me, self-love is empty without self-compassion. Mm. And that means being able to accept that I am, that I make mistakes. Yes. And I don't I don't really want to be perfect. They're boring. Perfect people are boring. Yeah. If we were all perfect <laughs> and we all had the same tastes, like they're yeah. just boring. We'd be a bunch of robots. <laughs> and that becomes the problem, though, when Ryan talks about living your best life. What we often conflate that with 
living the perfect life and yeah. that life we see that's mediated to us via mm. our televisions or Instagram oh, no or wherever. No doubt. Well, and that's one of the things I told you about my care farm, right? So that's one of the things on the care farm that, that being in nature teaches you is that uh, nature, all things happen, right? Mm. And it's it's just, you know, the, the symphony of a day and disaster, little mini disasters happen all along the way. You mm. know, uh, you know, a, a pig goes after a dog. Oh, we have the farm, right? Yeah. So the pig goes after the dog and the and the goats get into the the sheep's treats and mm. you know shit's just oh, sorry uh, no you're fine okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're all adults here <laughs> shit's just happening literally everywhere right and if you you know have a requirement of perfection or everything being so completely ordered and you mm. don't have that psychological flexibility you are going to have a lot of suffering in your life yeah i love that you know as i get older in fact i was talking to uh, jordan about this earlier before before the show um, I used to really uh, just hate not having answers and not knowing what everything was all about and not understanding why things happened. And I think it began with me understanding like, oh, none of us make it out of here alive. There's not one person. That's it. Yeah. There's not one person on this planet yeah. who, who is still here that has always been here. And when I, when I finally realized that, there's actually some solace in accepting that this might be the only life we have now. Is there something beyond it? Who knows? I mean, there's yeah. plenty of theories around that, right? But what we do know is we have this right here and right now. And when, when I was able to appreciate that, like A, it helped me to really be grateful for this. I think Einstein said something like, um, if God doesn't exist, you know, how lucky are we to have this one life that we actually do have? And I'm totally doing a bad job of paraphrasing that, but it's true. Like when I look at uh, the life that I have now, I really truly appreciate having this experience, this one hu human experience. Uh, the, what that led me to though, is that now I actually can find solace in not having all the answers. There's almost some kind of comfort or maybe it's me getting comfortable with not having the answers. And uh, I guess this is my way to just tell Carly, like, it's okay that you don't have all the answers right now. Yeah. Uh, just figure it out on a day-to-day -day basis. Figure out what living a meaningful life is for you. And some of those answers will come. But guess what? Not all the answers are going to come in, in anyone's lifetime. Yeah, a couple things I'm going to tell Carly. First off, one is I would get really clear on what your values are. Because if you want to live a meaningful life, you want to align your actions with your values. When we really start to suffer, we feel that discontent it is quite often because we don't understand that what we're doing is not in line with the person that we would like to be, right? And that's why we often turn to our distractions or to our pacifiers is it's the easy route, but the easy route is not a meaningful route. It is, it is easy. It's going with the flow, but if you go with the flow long enough, you end up at the falls, right? Yeah. And Carly, uh, I'd love to give you a hug as well. So if you want to come out to uh, one of our tour stops, we're going on tour yeah. in April. It's called the West Coast Tour. I want to give you a couple tickets to that. You're it's funny. The hug line makes me think of the care farm <laughs> because what, what we're doing is, is we're trying to offer some support to people. But uh, you talked about your care farm, how people come out with trauma and they care for these animals. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really uh, just fulfilling to like go beyond yourself to, to help something else. And that can certainly help with trauma too. 
Well, I'd love to give you a couple tickets. Uh, either come out to Sacramento or San Francisco or L.A. I know you're sort of in the middle of all three of those. So whatever's close to you, whichever one you'd like to come to. We've got a special guest in every city. We're doing a live version of The Minimalist Podcast. So maybe pick your favorite guest out of all of those. You can see all the guests and all the dates over at theminimalists.com slash tour. But Carly Podcast, Sean, will reach out to you and give you a couple tickets to whatever event you want to come to. Our next question is from Lauren in Boston. Ever since I lost my father and my boyfriend left me in such a short time span, I made the decision to move from where I am now to my home state to be closer to my friends and family. During this transition, I've been letting go of so many things, even habits and people that don't add value to my life anymore. I want the new upcoming phase of my life in my new state to be fresh and untainted by my past. However, I have felt at times that this mindset has caused me to let go of too many things. Some things that I feel wasteful getting rid of because I know I will replace them somehow. I just don't want the original items because they're quote-unquote tainted by my past. For example, I want to donate this pair of jeans that I have attached memories of my past to, knowing I'll have to replace them with new ones, since it is not the function or condition of the item itself that doesn't bring me value, but the feeling it brings me that doesn't bring me value. I want to add that at this time, I do have the financial means to go out and replace old things with new things, but I'm worried that doing this is not a responsible financial decision to make. Have you guys ever struggled with wanting to get rid of items that you have attached negative feelings and memories to, knowing you will just go out and buy a newer, slightly different version of it just so you can start fresh? How do I not attach feelings to items? If it were up to me right now with the way I feel, I'd get rid of nearly everything I own and buy all new things. So this is interesting, Joanne, because before the show we were talking about with your daughter's things, how you still have some of those things that are very, keep you very close to her and, and mean a, have a lot of meaning. Yeah. Um, this is kind of, a, I think, like a reverse situation where the things that she has is triggering all this trauma that she experienced negatively. She doesn't want to have association with that. So I guess, uh, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you got for Lauren? Well, what I have for Lauren is that <laughs> more questions. <laughs> I'm a researcher, so I don't have enough data, mm. actually. I don't know whether the feelings she's having are related to the pain of losing her partner Mm. or the nostalgia and the grief associated with her father's death mm -hmm. because those are very different experiences. Yeah. So if she had stopped with father <laughs> and there wasn't the other part to this, then I would say that, that anything that I don't like, I'm not a fan of the word trigger, mm -hmm. so I use cue. Mm. I, I like that better too. Yeah. Well, because anything that gets us is just a knock. Yeah. It's just saying, hello, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I don't want to associate it with necessarily with something negative. Right. If, if something gets us, if we're gut punched by something, then it's time to take a step back, pause and reflect on what's happening inside of us. Mm. So what I would say is if she had stopped at her father's, the experience of losing her father, which can be a very painful experience for most people, mm -hmm. I'd say, well, let's talk about why those feelings are cueing you mm -hmm. and see if we can stay with it. Because the idea for me with grief, especially traumatic grief, is, and she doesn't mention also how her father died and her father's age and all of those things can kind of matter. Yeah. Um, 
So the thing about traumatic grief is that I don't, my job as a counselor, as a researcher is not to force people to bring their traumatic grief feelings, sensations, emotions down. Because the thing about traumatic grief is we experience it and re-experience it throughout our lives. These are catastrophic losses that, mm. that, that to which there is no end date, okay? So I don't have a need to, uh, to assuage this, the grief and the trauma on this side. What I do is help people build the emotional muscle to carry it. Mm. And so that when it presents and represents itself, when you are cued, you go, okay, I remember this. I got this. I can do this. I can trust myself with it. So yeah. uh, it's emotional resilience, really. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like uh, it's it's hitting the gym for your emotions in yeah, a way. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly mm. what it is. And, and so when I when I think about this, these twin events that happened, because her two events happened to me, it started this whole minimalism thing was my, my mom died, my marriage ended, as she mentioned in the voicemail, uh, within the same month. And it's actually hard for me, although I can do it, it's hard for me to even uncouple those two events because it was like getting into a car crash and then that car crash slams into another car. And and it's almost difficult to say, well, yeah, was I in two car crashes or was I in one car crash? It all sort of felt like the same malaise mm-hmm. uh, in the moment. And, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is maybe she can uncouple those in a way that is beneficial. In fact, it, it's really important to start to un, unravel, you know, because what ends up happening, it's kind of like a balloon bouquet, right? The strings, when, once they start to deflate, you have a bouquet and all of these strings at the bottom and you don't know what string belongs to what balloon right. until you start taking them apart and you go, oh, okay, that's what this is about and that's what this is about. I mean, you know, this is a this is really important introspective work that we really need to do. This is part of our duty because if we stay in our traumatic grief and don't work with it, then, then we inhibit our capacity to... Uh, to, to allow our pain, our own suffering and pain to manifest as fierce compassion in the world. Mm. And what I mean by that is that all pain is an energy. Grief is an energy. All emotions are energy. The, the, the word, I talk about this in my book, the word emotion comes from a Latin word movere, which means to move through. So emo- And you can feel it when you're angry. You can feel it moving through your body when you're mm-hmm. sad. You can feel it moving through your body when you're happy or excited. You can feel those moving through your body, those emotions, right? If we can fully stay with it, then when, they move, then when those emotions move through us, then we can stay with it. And then they, and then they shift. They start to change, right? Mm-hmm. And then they can transfigure. They can transform into something more powerful. That's, that's the reason for my own fierce compassion in the world mm-hmm. is because I have been able to fully inhabit all my trauma and all my grief and not rush myself through it because you can't rush yourself through it doesn't work um but then over time slowly 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 those emotions have transformed into a place where they're still they're still trauma and they're still grief but i can i can transform that into fierce compassion in the world and that manifests through you know my love of people and my service to people but also animals and the earth my mindful you know sort of inhabitation of the planet Mm-hmm. This is amazing. This is like the best case for not suppressing these emotions. Absolutely. Because, well, because I can think of in the past when I, I've had addictions where I was suppressing emotions and just hearing what you said has, it's changed my perspective. And I wish my 25 year old self could have heard that mm-hmm. because when we have these emotions, yes, we have to work through them. But not only that, we have to kind of let them, 
you know, flower in their own way and see how we can use them, you know, to our advantage if, if possible, like, like you've been able to do. Yeah. And to the advantage of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. And it's a force. It's a, it's a movement. It's <laughs> move It's a movement. And I think that's why we have such a up world mm. is because everybody's just they're in grown-up bodies but there are little emotionally broken people trying oh, yeah. not to feel what they feel yeah. unless it's happiness totally. uh, ryan, well, ryan was talking totally. about he, he was actually actively covering up so not just like not trying to feel but or, or he was trying to not feel yeah. right yeah. where you, you do it with opioids or drinking or or whatever vice it is it's it could be watching tv just to ignore whatever feeling that you're mm-hmm. that you're feeling now let's let's get to lauren's uh a few things she had here because i do want to discourage her from spartanism right that, that that's the other side of the sort of ocd continuum you know hoarding is one side spartanism is the other and she says she's letting go of bad habits and toxic relationships i say that's great but you don't want to let go of all habits you don't want to let go of all relationships because then you end up in a very isolated place so she talked about starting over and the good news is we're always starting over we can always begin again <laughs> right but but also realizing that we can carry forward the things that can continue to serve us, whether it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. When I say serve us, I mean, part of that is us serving the relationships as well. Also, habits that serve us well. You don't want to just let go haphazardly. The key then is to let go of that which is no longer serving you or you're not able to serve anymore so that you can move forward appropriately. Uh, Would you have anything to add to that? <laughs> you covered it perfect. All right, Lauren. Well, well, hold, hold, hold. I do want to address the things that she talked about. How do you? She's like, how do I stop holding on to memories when it comes to things? And I don't, I don't have a magic answer for that. I think that I think that things will always have the ability to trigger memories. Now, if she has some things right now that are triggering negative emotions and negative memories, and that's like the pair of jeans she brought up. Oh, I got to get rid of those. W- one thing I would suggest to her is those things that are triggering the bad memories that you necessarily don't want to replace because your genes are perfectly fine and they still work. Like if you're having that specific struggle, um, I would recommend maybe setting those things aside so they're not constantly triggering the memories and going and finding someone uh, like a professional who can kind of help you work through these emotions. And then once you have let those emotions surface, and you've been able to, uh, whether you know you use them for uh, a force of good in the world, or whether you just you figure out how to work through those, then you can maybe get those things out of the closet, and then maybe see if you can deal with those feelings. But I totally agree, Josh. Like we don't want her to just, we don't want to encourage her. Yeah, just throw away everything that makes you feel bad because that could lead to a totally different set of problems. Yeah. By the way, if you get rid of all of these triggers for your memories, you're still going to have the memories. They're still there. Right. I mean, and the reality is, and the research is very, very clear about this. Experiential avoidance actually prolongs and exacerbates traumatic stress. Yeah. I mean, that's Mm. what substance abuse is all about. It's about avoiding everything we feel, all the triggers, it's about numbing out. And so when we're reticent to say, okay, I'm gonna make space for this feeling, for this object, for this object that comes with a feeling, (laughs) what we resist persists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It is the five-year journey of Ryan and I letting go of the things that were sort of in the way, but certainly not letting go of every everything, making room for that which is truly important, reprioritizing our values. Uh, so if you like our podcast, you'll like the... 
audiobook version of Everything That Remains. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, we're happy to send those to you as well. Oh, and also, Ryan, we were talking earlier about getting clear on your values with Carly's question. Uh, there's a free worksheet on our website if you want to get clear on your values. There's, in fact, a whole essay there called How to Understand Your Values. It's at theminimalists.com slash V. You can check that out as well. Ryan, what time is it? It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Those texts literally go straight to both of our phones which I love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> I got the best question the other day. What was it? Oh, it was just someone dealing with... What hair product do you use? Yeah, yeah. I love answering that question. <laughs> Nothing, no. Um, I, I uh, got a question from someone who was just going through like a bit of a spiritual journey. Um, you know, they were raised with uh, certain beliefs. And oh, I saw this one. Now they don't have their beliefs. And that's exactly where I'm at in life, where it's, I was raised a very strict Jehovah's Witness, and I had, you too? Oh, wow, we should talk about this later. My dad was the presiding overseer. Get out of here. My dad's an elder right now. He won't even talk to me. We, we, got, we should have lunch after this and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's interesting because wasn't it, when, so you were into it then. You were not into it. Okay, so I was into it, and you know how good it felt to have all the answers? It felt so good to be able to know, ex oh, I've got a secret that I'm willing to share with people but when I share it, you know, if they don't understand it, that's on them. That's not on me. But like when I went from understanding that like I really don't have it figured out, it was it was very jarring and it's very difficult to, you know, figure out where to place my beliefs now. So all that to say is it was a great conversation that I was having with this person because I'm going through the same exact thing. And really my answer to that right now, if anyone is wondering how I answered it, uh, I'm, I, well, I talked about it earlier. I'm getting comfortable with not having the answers. Yeah. And that is what really makes me feel feel good about the journey I'm on. I don't. I I hope I get answers, you know. But if I don't have them, I'm okay with just having right now, this moment, and that's what I try to focus on. I think Hillman was what, what said at one point in one of his books. Um, the the emotional maturity of a person can be gauged by their ability to tolerate ambiguity. Mm, I love that. Yes. I can't believe you're. Dad was a PO. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> All right, lightning round, y'all. Te text your questions, 937-202-4654. We can't answer every question, but we do our best to answer as many of them as we can, including some on the air. During the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 characters response, but not really. We just ramble and maunder on a bit <laughs> until we get something that's pithy that <laughs> Sean puts in the show notes that you can copy and share on social media if you like. Uh, looks like we got a qu question from Cavs. Is removing mementos of the loved one you lost helpful for moving past your trauma and grief? So I have just a pithy answer for this, and maybe Joanne can help us unpack it. I think we talked about it a little bit already. We don't let go of the memories when we let go of the stuff. However, I will say that sometimes if, if you have a big hurdle, it, it might it, it does make sense to maybe get rid of the trigger for a temporary period of time. It's not going to help you get rid of the memory, but maybe you can better address the memory if it's not constantly clobbering you. I'll give you an example. This morning I was driving here. I usually walk into the studio, but I was driving today uh, because of time, and I saw someone on a bike get hit by a truck as I was driving in. And it was actually the bike's fault. He was turning left at a red light and the truck just came through and it hit him and I shouted, no, like, I couldn't <laughs> help it. It was involuntary. Wow. I was I was traumatized by that in the moment. It's clearly not as much as the biker. He appeared to be uh, okay. Like uh, it could have been so, so, so much worse. Yeah. 
But I, I can only imagine, like, you wouldn't want to give him a video of that and have him play it on repeat all day either. Yeah. Well, actually. <laughs> well, I did film it, so, so I should reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's the dilemma. Okay. You've heard of habituation, biology 101, right? Yes. Okay. The problem is when we avoid our trauma, habituation never occurs. Mm. And so we, we remain reactive to the stimulus. And so that's the work that I do with people. So when they, for example, have seen their child die, some people were there and saw a car accident Mm -hmm. or pulled their child out of a swimming pool. When they've seen those kinds of things, the natural natural thought is to self-protect. And for a while, that can be a good idea. Until until it's not a good idea because yeah. it's still there. I mean, trauma is cellular. I mean, you can feel it in your body for an, an, an unlimited amount of time. And so, and it will stay there and it will make us sick if we don't deal with it. Right. And so uh, habituation can occur safely when you have a really, really well-trained, and I have to add that caveat because I have met, I'm a professor and I teach people students grad students had to be good therapists and uh we we definitely have a dearth of good therapists effective therapists especially ones who have done the, done their own shadow work mm. because who you are in your own work or lack of work mm-hmm. shows up in the therapy office and so uh i teach students how to do their own work so that when they uh, work with a client who has trauma they can create a safe environment because we have to feel safe in order to approach the scene where we pulled our child out of the swimming pool. Mm. Otherwise we can't approach it because it's too terrifying. It's too paralyzing. We keep going into flight, fight, freeze. And the reality is you'll do that your whole life. If habituation never happens, Mm. we have to file some of the sharp edges off. Mm. And so, uh, so, so the key is not to try to do it when we're by ourselves if we don't have the self-skill or if we don't have a lot of tools, mm-hmm. especially if you've had a historicity of trauma. Mm-hmm. You, you really have to get with someone who's quite well-skilled and quite well-trained and quite compassionate, who brings a lot of compassion and nurturance and resonance to the relationship mm-hmm. so that you can feel safe enough to go deeply into your own trauma and re-experience it in a safe way so mm-hmm. that your brain can start to file some of the sharp edges off of that. That is, that's, that's amazing because it's, yeah, what, what I'm hearing you say is that you do want to be able to not relive the trauma, but you want it to be able to come up and you want to be able to handle it in a way that, uh, yeah, that, that isn't going to put you right back in that. You want yeah. to handle it in a healthy way. Yeah, I mean, okay, so it's been almost 26 years since my child died. So there are traumatic snippets that I started because your grief brain's a real thing and mm-hmm. so is trauma brain. And so, you know, like I slowly started to put together, oh, I remember that, I remember that. And so for a while I was like, oh, I don't want to think about that. I want to do something else. I want to do something else. Uh, substances were never my thing. You know, like w- I would go walking, mm-hmm. which sounds like a healthy coping me- mechanism if I wasn't walking to avoid feeling. Mm-hmm. If I was walking alongside my feelings, it would have been different. And so avoid, 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 not working for me, not working for me, because it, every time it came up, it still had the same power over me. 
So right? avoidance the sharp edge. Is, is, is a... <laughs> Is a bad technique, uh, especially long term. Long term, it, it, it can to be. Me- it can be. It can be. You. It has some utility until we get somewhere safe. But we can't just pretend it didn't happen. Okay. Well, I do yeah. want to talk to you more about safety in a moment. But Ryan, I know you've got a pithy answer for us. Yeah. Here. You know, m- my answer is this: is letting go creates space for what's truly important. So the question I would be asking if I was Cavs is, you know, if you let go of those those mementos, what are you making room? For if you're just letting go to forget the past, it's probably not the best intention. If you're letting it go because you've got a storage locker that you're paying $500 a month for filled of mementos and it's causing you $6,000 a year to hang on those and you're feeling the monetary pain, well, that's a little bit different. Then you are making room for other things. So the question isn't, you know, uh, does getting rid of mementos help you move past your trauma and grief? It's really those mementos that you want to let go of. What are you making room for? All right. Well, before we get into our added value segment and our listener tips today, it looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. How do you forgive and forget the experience of betrayal from marital infidelity? That's a deep one, Ryan. We've got a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Joanne does as well. How do you break the cycle of narcissistic behavior from someone who is close to you? How do you keep up with good habits when you are depressed? How do you come to grips with parting with your late husband's things. What are the benefits of forgiveness? How do we move on from guilt? And we've got a bunch more questions for Joanne. If you want to hear all that, listen to this week's Maximal episode. That's right. You're currently listening to our Minimal episode. But each week, Ryan and I and our guests record an entirely different, much longer, much more personal Maximal episode on The Minimalist's private podcast, which is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement-free. When you subscribe to The Minimalist private podcast on Patreon, you'll receive a personal link so that our Maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. Find all the details at theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Jana Lee in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm calling in regards to your last episode about interior decorating. I think it was episode 222. Um, Ali from Springville had uh, posed a question about what to do to stage your home, and I had a couple of suggestions. There's a local thrift store called DI or Desert Industries. They actually have quite a few really cool looking um, decorative items, so that might be a place where she could go and purchase stuff for not very expensive and then donate it back when she's done. But she could also ask friends or neighbors. Um, I don't know how your friends and neighbors are, but I have several friends and neighbors who are really interested in decorating and have extra decorative stuff on hand. And um, so that might be an option if she just needs a few things that she doesn't want to keep. Hey guys, I am Jenny Tank and I'm calling from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I just wanted to leave a quick reminder for parents. I am a mom of a one-year-old and it's often easy to get just caught up in all of the toys and things that advertisements tell us that we need the newest and coolest gadgets and I just want to remind parents out there that something that your child needs that cannot be bought in a store is love. So instead of buying the new toys, have your child experiment with maybe something they already have. My son's favorite toy is an empty box. 
and we color on it, he plays in it, and we just have an amazing time with that simple toy that's not even a real toy. So I just wanted to remind parents that your child just needs your love, your attention, and just for you to be there. And that's not something that you can buy. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Joanne Cacciatore for joining us today. Check out her book, Bearing the Unbearable. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We think you'll find a lot of value in that. It'll be helpful for a lot of people. Uh, Real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. Over on our resources page, we have a free ebook. It's called The Minimalist Rulebook because Ryan and I have figured out all the answers to life. (laughs) And we were willing to share it with you. In a free ebook. Uh, it's uh, theminimalists.com slash resources. It's called 16 Rules for Living with Less, but we actually think there is no minimalist no. rule book. That's why we made the minimalist These rule book. These are our rules, and even the nuances of those rules differ between Josh and I, but it's a great right. starting point for someone who's looking to help, uh, looking for some help setting up some boundaries. It, boundaries is exactly the right word. It's sort of like putting a fence around your house, but you can also move that fence because yeah. you realize you've got more property mm-hmm. than you might suspect. And so you can move it in, move it out. You can adjust these rules for taste to mix my metaphors here. But check that out over, over at theminimalists.com slash resources. It is a free ebook. I think it's maybe 30 pages, so you can read it really quickly and, and one one sitting but it's also beautifully designed by our friends over at spire by the way you can follow the minimalists uh on facebook twitter and instagram at the minimalists earlier ryan we talked about texting us 937-202-4654 we're going to be doing some unscripted meetups just for our private text group there we also send you the uh, monday morning minimal maxims each week and we respond to as many folks as we can as well so if you want to get on our text list there you can text us personally we respond to a lot of people just text that number that i just gave you if you have a question comment or minimalism tip for our podcast leave us a voice memo uh, send it over to podcast at the minimalists.com comment on this episode at youtube.com slash the minimalist and if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list over at the minimalists.com and you'll receive our simple Sunday emails for free each week. For added value this week, Ryan, I sent you a link to an album yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to I did, it. I've got through like half of it, but it's really good, man. I uh, The way I described it, uh, the guy's name is Clever, and I described it, if Kurt Cobain made a rap album, <laughs> it would be this album. But it's not really, it's not rock, it's not rap, it's not pop, it's not R&B, it's none of these things, it's all of these things and other things as well. Uh, This guy's name is Clever, and we've been talking about trauma today, and we dive really deep into trauma also in the Maximal episode on Patreon, but this song is called Commissary, and it's, I, I think there is this, this trauma uh, culture within youth where they're trying to deal with trauma the best way they know how. And quite often that manifests in music, whether it was Kurt Cobain mm. or it is today's young artists who are looking for ways to deal with the environments and the events that are occurring to them. So this is Commissary from Clever's album, Who is Clever? And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. All I want to do is shoot guns Throw me in jail or a cemetery I got money for commissary All I need is that old heap died too young 
I don't smile when I'm not high Not keep smiling all the time If I have to die someday Let it be gone fire And I will go till I run tired And toast to that and raise this blunt eye Lord, don't you let me die No, not in an easy way Let me go out like a youngster Taking drugs, that's how we escape Let it be gunshots or plane crashes Just when I thought it was a safe passage Or let me go out in flames or a straight 